had a rough week. One of you people made me sick this week. I'm sure it was one of you. And it was one of those horrible colds, you know? I mean, even today, my head is, it feels like my brain went through a blender. That had nothing to do with brain surgery. Sometimes it was just hard to think through a complete thought. But hopefully that's all changed this morning. But it wasn't as bad as this man and his dog as they were out jogging through a state park. You know, paying more attention to his dog than to where the guy was running. He started moving closer and closer to what he thought was the edge of a hill. And ultimately, during a misstep, turned into this giant escarpment, a cliff. And then this man began tumbling down this hill. These jagged rock edges, he grabbed out and reached the limb of a tree. Maybe it was part of the root of a tree that had grown out. Whatever it was, he was holding on to it with dear life. His dog looking over the top, whining and barking, waiting and hoping. And this man just did what exactly you and I would do. He cried out for help. Help, help, anybody. Is anybody up there? Help me, please. And then a voice came thundering over the edge. I am here. I'm your God. God, please help me. Help me. Help me out of this place. Well, my son, do you trust me? Yes, yes, I believe in you. No, no, no. Do you trust me? When I speak, do you trust my word? Yes, Lord, I do. I believe. I believe. Then let go. Is there anyone else up there? A silly little story that makes a really, really sharp point. Because, friends, Christianity is a, 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 a religious faith. It is a faith. We are known as people of faith. This whole idea that the world misunderstands is that we believe stuff that just couldn't possibly be true. We have made up stuff in our own mind like fairy tales, and we have just held on to it. And, and you have done that in your life with various things. I remember in elementary school, my teacher reading this story about uh, angels and, and it's this fanciful tale. And at the end of it, at the, the very last page, that you can always tell who an angel is by the little stubs on their back. And every kid around me, including myself, was trying to reach around to see if we had stubs. We believe the fairy tale. We bought into it. That is not Christianity, my friends. Faith is accepting a truth, a statement from a truth, a God of truth, holding on to it as truth and acting on it. That is what faith is. And the question here this morning is, do you have faith or do you merely talk about faith? Faith. That's what our sermon is about. And let's be honest, friends, we're not as good with faith as we'd like to be. If I were to ask who would like to grow in their faith, surely there would not be a hand left uh, below their shoulders. Am I right? Do we not all want to grow in our faith? And by the way, when we say that, what do we mean? We can reference the body of truth that, that is, is the content of our teaching, the Word of God. Or we could talk about our response to it. 
And certainly we could all use to, to learn a little more about this body of truth, but also we could learn on the response of obedience that looks a lot like faith. Well, friends, this morning, John, as we study the last chapter here in John's first letter, he's going to lay out three things that only those who have faith can lay hold of. It is amazing that there are some things that God will only do in response to faith. Some things that if you do not have faith, you have no access to whatsoever. It will be a frustrating, bumbling experience without the faith that God has called us to live out. So join me, if you will. We'll look at these three things here this morning, starting at verse 1 where we will discover that through faith, we are born again. Through faith, we are born again. I love this expression. Back in the 70s, it was part of a presidential thing. Some of you who were still around back then, I was just a wee lad at the time, may recall the conversation about Jimmy Carter and being born again and being mocked about the whole thing. And as a child, I didn't really know this. Boy, born again thing sounded religious, but it sounded like some kind of movement. It wasn't until later on in my life that I found it was biblical. Born again is a reference to when you understand the gospel that Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead, and you enter into a faith relationship with his God. He gives you a new life, a new nature, a new home, a new destiny, a new purpose. It's a new life, my friends. It is a new life. It's not like changing your mind and heading in a new direction, my friends. Everything about it is new. So notice with me, if you will, verse 1. Everyone who believes <coughs> excuse me, that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. The issue is faith. The, the issue is not knowledge. Well, I know that. I thought growing up in the church, we were there Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and a whole bunch of Wednesday nights on top of it, let alone the little group meetings along the way. I heard that. I accepted it as true, and therefore I thought that I was a Christian. Okay? What I was is a a friend to Christians mostly because, yeah, I believe that. I accept that as true. And we use the word believe like that all the time, don't we? Hey, do you, can you believe that they're going to build a, oh, yeah, that makes sense because they've been talking about that forever. It's not what we're talking about. Belief is accepting something as true and acting on it. It is the acting on it that demonstrates the faith, my friends. So, through faith we are born again. And uh, this, this born again experience is demonstrated by our love for God. I want you to notice here. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So the first mark of those who are born again is that they love God. They love God. And remember, love is not an emotional feeling. And that emotion can be a result of the sacrificial investment in someone else's life, those emotions are nothing but selfish feelings, my friends. Thinking only about you. Think about that for a little bit. 
So the marks of this born-again experience is our love for God. I notice here in, uh, again, verse 1, demonstrated also by our love for other believers. (coughs) Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So look around the room, my friends. Look around the the city for other people who name the name of Christ, who've put their faith in him. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. They are sons of God, and we are called to love them. And friends, it ought not even to be hard to love the people who love God. We have the most important things in common, and yet... Look at the history of what we've seen of other of Christians, what they say about other Christians and what they do to other Christians. It is a shame, my friends. But those who have been born again, they love God and they love those who are born of God, other believers in God. And also one of the marks we notice here in verses 2 to 3 is that this love is demonstrated by our obedience to God. Notice this, verse 2. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Hey, how does God know you love him? Well, one of the most obvious ways is do you do what he says to do? Because God gives us instruction that is both good to us and brings glory to his name. Do we not want to do what it is that brings glory to God's name? One of the easiest things you can do is find out what God wants you to do and do it. The whole Old Testament, all of these heroes of the faith, all of their heroic efforts come down to one thing. God told them to do something, and they did it. They did not take a poll. They did not consider different options. They did it. You know, I was reading through Genesis, I come to chapter 6, and you know, we meet this guy named Noah, this man of faith. And God told him about something that had never happened before, but it was going to happen soon. Rain. And God told him to build a boat, like this big boat, like a really, really big boat. And he did it. He simply did what God told him to do. And he stands out as this heroic figure who has done something incredible. And yet, it wasn't because he was smart. It was because he was a man of faith. And you can trace through all of the scriptures and see all of these heroes, the highlight stories. And these people simply trusted God. And God did great things through them. Obeying God, my friends, is what we are called to do. To hear, to understand, and to act. What it is that God said and how it is we ought to do it. So, this being born again is marked by those who love God, those who... um, our love other believers, are obedient to God here in verse 2 to 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And look at this phrase that John adds here. And his commandments are not burdensome. It is not a burden to do what it is that our loving Heavenly Father has called us to do. 
You ever been in a relationship where you fall over one another trying to do stuff for one another? Can you remember those days, you know, maybe years and years and years ago? Where you say, oh, no, let me get that for you. Oh, let me do that for you. Maybe it's a past memory. Maybe it's still a present reality of someone that you care about so much that you cannot wait to do for them. That is the love that we talk about for God. If that is not your experience, friend, the big question ought to be, why? I mean, what is it in your life now? What kind of activities, what kind of intentions do you have in this life to, to love God? Remember, love is action, not feeling. It's not just an acknowledgement. Do you love God? Oh, yeah. That's not love, friends. Loving God but I'll tell you, when you love someone, it's not burdensome at all to do for them. And here is John saying, his commandments are not burdensome, and they weren't meant to be burdensome. You know, yeah, the Old Testament, you know, gave Israel these 10 commandments and 613 laws and statutes, and, and, it, and it feels like God's just trying to put fences around people to make their life complicated. But every one of those laws was meant to protect their lives and their relationship with God. I mean, there are rules I create in my own life for my own protection, there are certain things I will never do. I wonder if you have a list like that. Certain things you've just declared to yourself, I will never do this. I mean, I've told you before, I have a list that I made early on in my ministry of things that would happen if I were to ever have a moral failure. The shame and the embarrassment for my wife and my family and my church and for the name of Christ and the list in detail. And every one of those things is sharp in my mind to remind me I will never, and, it, and I feel in the blank. It depends on the circumstances and the people around me and how I will do things. I hope you have things like that. I don't do that to be harsh for myself. I do that because I know there are some things I ought never do because they risk everything that matters to me. The same is true with God's commandments. His commandments are life for us. And so being born again through faith, we are saved by grace through faith. Faith, that is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But through faith, we are born again. <coughs> And the mark of that is our love for God and our love for other believers, our obedience to God. And then notice here verse 4, another one of those marks of those who have been born again. In verse 4, John tells us, <coughs> for everyone who has been born of God, listen to this, my friends, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Say it with me. Our faith. It is our faith. You cannot overcome the pressures of this world, the influence of this world, squeezing people into its mold without faith. Without faith. By the way, that word victory is the Greek word nike. 
You know, you've probably seen it on tennis shoes, just pronounced a little differently. You know, the real symbol of faith ought to be Nike tennis shoes, maybe, huh? I don't know. Maybe we ought to all buy Nike tennis shoes and talk about faith with people, you know? You know why I wear these shoes? It's a great end to share the gospel, my friends. All right, we'll get together afterwards and find the best prices. Who's in? I'm teasing, people. You don't have to wear Nike tennis shoes. I like Adidas. All right, my friends. As we continue on here, we see that, that faith is able to do great things. If we respond in faith to God, the door swings wide open to all sorts of opportunities. And the first, of course, is that through faith, we are born again. We receive this new life, and it is made clear by our love for God and for others, our obedience to God, and our ability to overcome the world. And who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And that is the underlying issue of all of these things. Remember, John wrote this book to a, a, a church, a body of believers, my friends, who had some heresy and error being pushed in through the back door, trying to make it public and popular. And John wrote this letter to, contra, uh, to, to uh, oppose this, to clear things up of what is true and what is not. And of course, the issue was about Jesus. The, there was teaching in here, and we're going to see that countered more clearly in just a moment, that Jesus, the Son of God, did not come upon Jesus until his, bat, uh, his baptism, but left before the cross. Uh, like some coward, you know, came for all the glory stuff, but left for the suffering. It, it, it is a heretical teaching. There is no doubt about it. But here, we've seen the first thing that faith does. It enables, it, 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 it causes us to be born again. When we respond to the grace of God by faith, we are born again. The second is found in verse 6. Through faith, we know and believe the truth. <coughs> <coughs> through faith we believe the truth look at verse 6 what is the truth it is that we have come to realize and accept as true and act on well the first truth is this is that Jesus is the son of God the son of God and re remember the, the expression the son of God simply means that he is God the son of means he has all of the characteristics or attributes of this. So to say, you know, we, we use it as he's a son of a gun, he's a whatever, you know, a son of man, a son of, it, it simply means uh, that he has these attributes, characteristics. In other words, he is God. He's not like God, he is God, and he is the son of God. And, uh, in, and how, do we, how is it that we have come to know this? Well, we've had some really great sources to come to this uh, um, result of knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. The first, perhaps, is the uh, testimony of the Father. The Father himself spoke up from the Son. Do you remember that? Happened three times. Three times in the New Testament, the Heavenly Father breaks through and says, I got something to say. And the first time it happened, my friends, was at Jesus' baptism. It was at his baptism. As a matter of fact, 
You'll notice here the testimony came, as John says in verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. The water representing his baptism, the blood representing his death. Jesus didn't just bleed for us, my friends. He died for us. He died to pay the penalty for our sin. And John's insistence that he did not come by water only, but but by water and blood suggests, again, he was refuting this notion that was held uh, by Serinthus, uh, this, this heretic, who taught that the divine Christ descended on the man at baptism, but left him before the crucifixion. But here John is saying, oh no, oh no. He, he uh, clearly came by the water and the blood. There it was laid out oh so very clear. Now I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13, where we read about Jesus' baptism. Matthew 3.13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. <laughs> and we see in verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately... He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. It didn't say the Spirit of God looked like a dove. The Spirit of God was descending as a dove would descend. And what happened then? And coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And there it is. You have the Trinity presented before you. The Father in his voice, the Son incarnate, and the Spirit of God making his presence known. And the Father testifying, in case you don't get it, this is my son. And I wonder if you felt that way about your kids at certain points. Look at this guy. You know what? This guy read the Bible and says, hey, it says something about loving the brothers here. And my brother just brought me some water. So I want you to memorize Psalm 119 while I drink this. How'd you do? It's a long one, my friends. It's a long one. All right. <clears throat> wow. So Jesus is the Son of God is, is, is perhaps the primary truth that we must know about him. Who is this Jesus that we must put our faith in? Who is this Jesus that claims that, you know, these claims that say he went to a cross, he took on flesh, and he died, and he rose from the dead? He is the Son of God, and the Father himself gave testimony for us. And that was, of course, at his baptism. And then we have the testimony even of the Father at his crucifixion just before. So turn with me to John chapter 12 and verse 27. 
John chapter 12 and verse 27. Now there, of course, was one other time between these two events, and that was uh, the transfiguration of Jesus. When uh, Jesus and Peter, James, and John were were all together, and uh, the voice of God spoke in that that moment there. So, um, but here we are looking right before the crucifixion of Jesus in John twelve twenty seven. Here, uh, the Lord Jesus is gathered with his disciples. He is about to. Uh, <coughs> Uh, meet with them one last time. But notice this. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? And this is Jesus praying, Father, save me from this hour. Now notice here, my soul is troubled, and what, what shall I say? Jesus said, shall I ask for deliverance here? Father, save me from this hour? And, and the response is, of course not. But for this purpose... I have come to this hour, and here is Jesus' prayer. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And a crowd stood there, and they heard it, said that it had thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him, but Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Again, testimony of who Jesus is. We know the truth. We have two-thirds of of revelation in our hands here is Older Testament, filled with the prophets who were saying all of these things would come about. We have the testimony of the Father you know, and then we have the testimony of the Spirit of God. Again, here in verse, uh, the end of verse 6. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. Three that testify. The Spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. We know the truth about Jesus. He is the very son of God. How do we know it? We know it because the testimony has been given and we accept it by faith. We hear it, we accept it as true when we believe it. We act on it. And then there's another bit added on here in verse 10. We have the testimony of our hearts. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And we have the testimony of our own hearts as the children of God to know that this is true. And so what is it that we know about Jesus? We know that he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And what else is it that we know? According to verse 11, we know that eternal life is ours through Jesus. These foundational truths. And the one who has the Son has eternal life. Look at verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. 
Eternal life is not something you can figure out for yourself. Eternal life is something given by the grace of God to those who put their faith in him. So whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And how can you know for sure? Well, the very fact is, friends, you can know for sure whether you have eternal life. You don't have to guess and you don't have to hope. If we took a survey today and asked, do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life? My guess is there might be some, well, I think so, I hope so. Well, based on the truth of the Word of God, we can know for sure. Look at verse 13. I write these things to you. This is John writing. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? That you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know without a shadow of a doubt, you know the truth. Why? Because God has revealed the truth, and he has recorded the truth, and he has preserved the truth, that you and I might read these words here today and know this, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that eternal life is found in him, and that when we put our faith in Christ, he gives us eternal life. Well, that's a giant advantage for those who have faith, my friends. Giant advantage. I mean, we've seen that uh, through faith we are born again. Through faith we know the truth. And finally here, by faith we have confidence. We have confidence. I want you to notice this carefully here. By faith we have confidence. What sort of confidence, you might ask? Notice here in verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. The confidence we have in knowing these truths, knowing the, who Christ is and what he has done, is that we have the confidence that God answers our prayers. And you say immediately in your hearts, we hasn't answered all my prayers. Well, it's true. I don't have a Ferrari. I've never been a professional football player. I mean, then the list can go on and on and on. But there's a bit of a clause there that we might have read over. You may have noticed... <coughs> that if we ask anything, and here it is, according to his will, he hears us. The purpose of prayer is to not satisfy your desires, my friends. It is not to satisfy your wants. It is not even to satisfy your purest desires. The purpose is is to accomplish the will of God. And any prayer that is in line with the will of God will most certainly be answered in the power of God. God gives us confidence that our prayers indeed will be answered. And certainly there are more things involved with prayer than simply this statement of according to his will. It must be asked in faith, and we ought to ask it with patience in hope, and and that it would be wise of us to grow in our prayer life to learn what it is that God says about prayer. 
what is necessary that leads to an answered prayer. But one of those things, certainly and most importantly, is that it's according to God's will. And you might ask the question, then what is God's will? Well, I'm so glad you asked. My friends, the answer is right before you. Read the Word of God to know the heart of God. And you will learn what it is, the will of God. And you will learn how to pray in a way that you will see the answers. And when the answers come, it won't come by surprise. It will become because you know God. Because you understand His will. And sometimes, even when we pray according to the will of God... You know, we know that sometimes the answer of prayer is not always immediate. You know, sometimes the will of God is not only yes, it's yes, but eventually, not now. You know, and I've heard so many uh, sermons about prayer and all of these little things you got to add on. And it really comes across, and let's be honest, as really you can't expect your prayers to be answered. You know, there's just so much, you got to be a Bible lawyer to figure this out. But my friends, if you are sincere in connecting with God, and to study the Word of God and seek the heart of God, you know, it's not a, you know, 17 ways to get what you want from God. The question is not, how do we get what we want from God? The question is, how do we align our hearts with His? You know, and when those are the things that are happening in our life, and we start seeing God pour the resources of heaven into our lives, through our lives, into people's lives. But you can have confidence, my friends. You absolutely can. God hears our prayers. And by hears, it doesn't mean that there's just sound flowing in one ear and out the other. It means God cares about it. And God wants us to pray. It is a, it is, it is a prayer itself is an act of faith. I mean, have you ever thought about that? You know, I mean, we, you know, we, we do this stuff in restaurants, you know, we rub our eyebrows and we do a lot of stuff that makes it look like we're not necessarily praying while we're praying in public and because we know it's a weird thing. I mean, who are we talking to? Do we really believe that God hears My friends, if you don't have the faith that God hears and cares, why would you pray at all? But by faith, we have confidence. By faith, we have confidence that God answers our prayers. We have confidence that we are untouchable by the evil one. Whoa, where'd you read that one? Here, look at verse 18. We know. Notice what John says. We know this. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep sinning. Did you hear that? I'm going to read that again in case you missed it. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. In other words, when, when we have been born of God, our life is different. Our appetite has changed. And we begin pursuing different things, and people start talking about us and say, what happened to her? Why, why, is he do, why doesn't he come around anymore? You don't have to leave your friends. Friends, they've left you because you're pursuing different stuff now. And sin, that selfishness begins to peel away. And you begin this love for God, and you begin loving other people. 
there it is in the Bible. We know that everyone has been born of God, does not keep on sinning. And this talks about a regular practice. This is present tense, continuous action. Okay, this sin. They do not continue on and on to have a whole lifestyle of sin. This is no longer their pursuit. That's a great opportunity to hold a mirror in front of us, isn't it? But he who was born of God protects him. And notice this. And the evil one does not touch him. Untouchable. And there it is, my friends. Those who belong to God are untouchable by the evil one. Anything that comes to us must pass through the hand of God. And for the glory of God, certainly, you know, God can do a lot to bring glory to himself and accomplish much through ourselves, you know. But one thing we know for sure is that we are in his hands. And finally here, friends, the confidence that we are children of God. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. We know the truth. We are confident that we are the children of God. And John leaves with this little warning. Now that you know the truth, let nothing else satisfy. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You know the truth. Don't chase substitutes. And so let's wrap it up here. Sermon in a sentence. I would put it this way, friends. Faith enables the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Martin Luther put it this way, God our Father has made all things depend on faith so that whoever has faith will have everything and whoever does not have faith will have nothing. Faith. Faith. Friends, you've got to have faith. You know the truth. You know the one who is the truth. You've got to trust him. Exercise your faith daily. Exercise it before your head hits the pillow. Maybe ask the question, did I trust God today? Was there a moment where I stood at a crossroad my way or God's way? Did I wrestle with I long to be here but God says there? Faith, my friends. It's a big question. If it doesn't show up in your life, some scary situation there, friends. I would not sleep well if I could not find evidence of faith in my life. How about you? Know the truth, my friends, that faith only grows if you use it. Jesus said the faith of a mustard seed could move a mountain because the power is not in your faith the power is the, in the one whom you trust. Faith, my friends, grow it. And know this, my friends, know this. It is impossible to please God without faith. So trust him. Trust him in those relationships, those hard relationships. Do the exact opposite 
of what you really long to do inside. The voices in your head. Listen to the word of God and the leading of the spirit of God. Say, yeah, but I would, ne- I would rather trust God, act on his word, and watch the power begin. Watch God break through hearts. Watch it happen. It is impossible to please God without faith. It's time to start walking it, friends. A little less talking and a whole lot more walking.